are we going to talk about what happened? <laughs> what do you mean? Podcast take two. Take two. Yeah. Uh, to our listeners, we recorded this awesome podcast that it was maybe the best one ever. Yeah. Nobody who will ever hear it. Why, Susan? We forgot something. Don't say we. I don't want to blame you. It was me. I forgot <laughs> to put the SD card into the recording. I would have definitely done that though if I'd been in charge. So yeah. Um, this is take two. But we're just learning our equipment. Oh, I feel no. good. <laughs> I feel good about this because it will never happen again. But well, in your defense, we recorded this awesome podcast that we both were watching. There's a, just for y'all to know, we can see how long we talk. There's a clock that's going and a record button. And we both noticed that something was weird with the record button. It was a different color, but it was still recording somewhere. Yeah. So we went with it. And then we realized it was recorded to nowhere and we couldn't get it off this machine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's okay. And it's 2020. Mm, yeah. Which means we're starting off with mistakes <laughs> and failure, which is okay. Yeah. We don't. We're going to lean into that and take absolutely. this as an opportunity to improve on our previous recording. Which is going to be amazing. Yeah. So, as yeah. we're in 2020, first thing we want to do is look at 2019. Whew. Yeah. It was a good year. We've been running this podcast for a whole year. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> And I went back and looked at the stats of last year, which you can do. And we had 700 downloads just last year. That's crazy. Yeah. I thought we would get like maybe like 30. <laughs> That's so sad. Just shout out to our moms. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, right. mom. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> I thought, yeah, we wouldn't. I don't know. Uh, the Lord was very yeah. gracious and then you can also look to see where they're being downloaded. Where were they? Mostly in the U.S. Yes. Mostly in Missouri. Okay. Which fair. Which is good fair. because <laughs> that's who we're talking to. Uh, we're trying to speak to our context, but we're also international. What? Yeah, we have ha we have some downloads in Japan. That is so crazy. We all know who that is. Shout out. <laughs> uh, but I was very surprised to see we had a download in. <laughs> In New Zealand. Shout out to you as well, whoever yeah. you are. Yeah, put another <laughs> shrimp on the bobby. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, no. Is that Australian? Yes. Is that wrong? And that's from Dumb and Dumber. What? <laughs> no, that's like a real phrase from like Outback Steakhouse, right? <laughs> no, is it? I don't Outback know. Steakhouse. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. The Blooming Onion. The what? The Blooming Onion. That was like the famous thing from oh, Outback Oh, I've never actually been to Outback Steakhouse. Mm. Is it good? I think it peaked in the 90s. It peaked in the 90s? Yeah. I mean, it's the same. It's the same as it's it was. I like went chilies and Applebee's and exactly. TGI Fridays. Yes. I think it was really cool when it first came yeah. out. It was like, oh, Outback Steakhouse. Yeah. But now, I don't know. I went, I, <laughs> some reason, I went a couple years ago and I was like, oh, this is kind of sad. It was, <laughs> it was a little like bit. Like Golden. Golden Corral, you know. Not quite that, but um, it was it was okay. You having trouble with your mic? I'm having a little trouble with my mic. Yeah. <laughs> it's like sure moving why. on its own. <laughs> um, but we look back at 2019, and we've had a handful of episodes that have just been really awesome, and we're really thankful for all of our listeners in the past year, and we, we hope 
that we can at least do what we did last year, but we want to improve on that. I think it'd be really yeah. cool if this podcast started to grow more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been helpful for us um, so helpful. to do research, but just also kind of just talk about um, just some ongoing issues and themes that we see in youth ministry and mm-hmm. um, just providing hopefully some content for you parents that you can take what we do um, into your own home. Mm-hmm. And so we're in the midst of a series, um, adolescent drama. No, I every, every, every time. time you're going to say it, I'm Bibli- like, I don't know. <laughs> biblical biblical no. application into adolescent drama. Could never have told you that. Yeah. Even though I've heard you say it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's written in front of me. I should really look at my notes every <laughs> once in a while. And we've been going, that's going to be our crossover mm. series. It's been a good series for us. Um, and we feel like it's been answering a lot of good questions. But today we're talking about conflicting views. What do I do? When my teenager has a different view than I do. Which is probably every teenage parent yeah. relationship ever. Yeah. Can I just say that, like, <laughs> that's a normal thing? Yes. Okay, now you can turn off the yes. podcast and that's how you need to know. <laughs> we're done. Everything's no, we're, fine. <laughs> we're actually going to start things off a little bit different today. Um, normally I ask Susan a random question and then it leads into some content. But I want to actually talk about Jesus as an adolescent. Mm. Um, And we can view his conflict that he had with his parents. But I really want to talk about Jesus as an adolescent because we think of Jesus in two ways. One, as a baby. Deer, eight pounds, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus. (laughs) Don't even know a word yet. Just a little infant, so cuddly. Mm. Okay to laugh. Omnipotent. I'm so sorry, everyone. (laughs) What? We're we're right after Christmas. (laughs) And so... Next story in the Bible is actually Jesus as an adolescent, but we o- we normally think of him in terms of a baby, right? Yes. Which is why that scene is so funny in Talladega Nights. It's like a really long scene. And then we jump into like Jesus's ministry, like as an adult, but we don't think about Jesus as an adolescent that often, but there is actually some scripture and that speaks about him. Yeah, so kind of yeah. the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's really kind. Yeah. So I'm actually just going to read this one piece about Jesus in his adolescent stage, and then we're going to talk about it. So it's in Luke 2, uh, verses 41 through 52. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching you for in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that they spoke to them. And he went with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in the favor with God and man. That is the window 
into middle school Jesus. Mm -hmm. So cool. Yeah. And I first want to note how quick it is. Yeah. Like not a lot of info on that. Yeah. (laughs) So when you're reading the Bible or just reading something in general, you can like look at how important something is based off how much time it's given. You know, it's it it zeroes in on like this very specific scene. So there's heavy importance to this actual scene, which we'll talk about. But it's not given much length in the Bible. Right. It's just very quick, and so that should immediately tell us, like this is a normal thing. This is something we should expect, but we shouldn't dwell on it too long because this part of mm-hmm. life is quick and it's fleeting, right? Mm-hmm. So. I first want to note, he's 12 years old. They actually give an age. He's 12, which is the beginning. If you go back to the when we first started this series, um, we define adolescence as 12 to 22. So this is the beginning of that stage of life. So he's getting into that he's, he's through puberty, all that type of stuff. Um, and Wanting independence. Wanting independence. And what does he do? He immediately finds s- that. He <laughs> finds it, yeah. <laughs> He goes and separates from his parents and loses them for four days. Stressful. What's going through your mind if you lost your kid for four days? I mean, I would be a nut job. Yeah. That's what, uh, you know, a little helpful of the context that that probably wasn't as weird for them because they're traveling with. Yeah, and they didn't have cell phones. (laughs) Yeah. I, yeah, for me, that would be undoing. Yeah. So I'm guessing maybe like. They were okay for a few days because they didn't notice because maybe they were with a bunch of people and then they yeah. notice and they like flip out because they're like, where is he? Yeah, you can kind of see that like in the first day, they're like, oh, he's probably somewhere. He's with somebody. Yeah, not worried for a day. And then they went looking for them. And as soon as they started like realizing something's not right, then they were, quote, distressed. Um and I know as oh, parents, so we have all been there, no matter uh, the age or stage yes. or whatever, you become distressed when you're in <laughs> conflict or you just feel at odds with your kid. Yeah. Yeah. It's undoing. Yeah. So and so we can kind of sense where Jesus' parents are in all this. Mm-hmm. But we also know Jesus is the, the human standard. He is the ideal person. He is God in human form. And what we still see is in the adolescent stage, Jesus still had conflict with his parents. Mm -hmm. So that should be a relief in some sense. Like it's a normal thing for people to experience in this stage of life. Mm -hmm. And again, I'll say it one more time. There's not much time given to this in the Bible, so it shouldn't overcome us. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't consume us. It's, you know... Let's get through this. How do we deal with it? And this is what happens. So Jesus and the parents have conflict, and they talk about it. Why have you treated us so? Why have you wronged us? Why have you made us feel in distress? Very honest question. Very <laughs> honest question. It, like, pushes in. Like, they're just, they're frantic. They're like, mm-hmm. I feel like I've failed you or something. Why? I don't know what's going on in their head entirely. Um, but just think about that moment that you've had with your kid. Like, why have you treated us so? And then Jesus responds with, why were you looking for me? Did you <laughs> not know I must be in my father's house? Mm. And so the, the teenager or the preteen responds with their experience. From their perspective, this is where I need to be. And, and 
this instance, because it's Jesus, he is exactly where he needs to be. And Jesus's parents knew that about them. Mm-hmm. But the, like the most key thing about this story is that even though Jesus was in the right and he was doing what he needed to be doing, he was still submissive to his parents. Yeah. And that's what's key here. It's, it's meant for us to see that even in conflict, we are meant to submit to authority in the end. So Jesus was submitting to authority in the Father of of God the Father um, by being in his temple and talking in those midst. But in the end, he also knew that God the Father put parents in his life as immediate authority. And so by submitting to his parents, he was submitting to God the Father. Mm. And that's the heart and the broad and narrow Mm. explanation of the fifth commandment. Um, We are meant to submit to all authority that God has given us. And Jesus understood that. Okay. Yeah? Yeah. All right, that's Jesus. <laughs> none of our children, <laughs> none of the youth we hang out with are Jesus. They're all sinners. Do this well. So you can look at that as a standard, as the mm. way things should function. And that's a good thing to look at and be like, okay, I, have it. I at least have a standard. I know what I should be leading my kids to. But what do I do when they're not submissive? What do I do when they mm-hmm. have a completely wrong view trying to, com- to combat what I'm trying to do? So, Susan, when, when your kids are trying to do something that you know is wrong, how do you step into that? Well, one thing I, I want to back up. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of content um, there. No, no. I just wanted to say I really appreciate you saying, like, this should not be consuming because, um, you know, like adolescence and the stuff that we're dealing with should feel kind of like a blip because there's so much more of life to like tackle and to be involved in. And I just thought about like, we've talked about this with our anxiety podcast, but just thinking, I wonder what that's like. (laughs) Maybe not just for moms. I was thinking for myself, I was like, that is so hard not to be consumed with something like this um and to realize we'll we'll get more into this but to realize like this is such a long term yeah constant yeah thing we're doing with our children um so to answer your question what do i what do i do when my children are disobeying me or like have different ideas yeah like and we're you know, we're, yeah. we're parents of small children, so it's, it's way different in response and expectations. But that's also reflective of what's happening with teenagers in some sense. So what, what is happening? So like a child is, mm-hmm. you know, about to jump off the table or something. Yeah. And you need to correct their ways. And they're just like, <laughs> no, I want to do this. <laughs> I think this is the best thing for me. Mm-hmm. How do you respond to that? Um, well, at our house right now, we're having to really be clear that there is a, an expectation and a consequence. Um, John has witnessed this so many times. Our kids, we like to call them snack sharks. They would eat snacks all the live long day. What's the quote? I don't want, <laughs> I don't want an apple. I don't want, I want an apple. Snack. I want a snack. Yeah. Um, my dear sweet Luke, who is three, could eat. He could live off of only snacks. And we have a rule, you can have, like, one snack, and then you got to eat fruit. And so, like, I think that's a simple way to say, like, sure, you can't be, you cannot 
choose everything yeah. because mom actually knows that that's not good for you. It's not going to make your tummy feel good. So kind of at this point explaining why mm-hmm. um, to teach, not to get in an argument with them because I really don't like to keep ants like when my kids are like, but why, but why, but why? Yeah. Um, it's more like to say like, this is why, because like God gave us things to actually fill our bellies and in a good way, but also like there's a consequence, like we're not going to, we're not going to sh- just eat junk, just eat junk because yeah. that's not good for us. So mm-hmm. that same thing, that same logic applying to like jumping off a table or something way bigger with a, a teenager of like, there is an order in God's world. Mm-hmm. This is what it is. And this is why we don't do that because there's a consequence. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like it's, similar to a toddler yeah (laughs) like it hasn't changed it probably won't change that much from a three-year-old to a 13-year-old it'll just be way more emotional and i'll probably be way more emotional (laughs) yeah yeah um when someone's not as compliant (laughs) yeah i'm i think the one of the big differences uh between like children and like teenagers it's it's a physical reality with children and it's like a very black and white and then when you step into like the adolescent stage it's everything's much more abstract um and the why is like the reason you give is only one of the choices um and they realize that right and that's why it it looks easy with jesus because he knew like the truth and he knew the way um, he's not questioning things because he already he already understood that. You can see that with all the people in authority that he was conversing with, they were impressed by his understanding. Like he already understood truth. Mm-hmm. Most teenagers are questioning truth at this stage, or they're convinced they know it. Yeah, like where my three year old, they're not going to question it because he does he doesn't know. Yeah, <laughs> he he knows he wants a cookie. Yeah, but he doesn't know, he doesn't understand the complexities. Yeah. Where when you are an adolescent, there is so much truth to really thinking like my parents do not understand mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Like I totally. understand this. You don't get it. Yeah. You're out of touch or fill in the blank, you know, like out of touch. Yeah. <laughs> you just, you don't, I'm out of touch with my lingo. You don't understand me. <laughs> you just don't. I remember art. feeling, <laughs> I remember feeling that way of like wanting to be respectful, but also realizing like my parents didn't get it. Yeah. They did. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but in my mind, I was like, they don't get it. Yeah. They don't get it. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about what's happening. So we've, we've jumped mm-hmm. from childhood to adolescence. Something is drastically different with this looks like a person but is acting l- kind of like a monster <laughs> slash toddler slash toddler you know <laughs> it's like similar. it's so confusing and it's not just hormones that's a piece of it mm-hmm. uh, but in preparation for this podcast I, I picked up a couple books and one really stood out um, and it's one where um, this neuroscientist talks about the teenage brain and what is happening in those stages so the book is called the teenage brain it's really good there's a lot of scary stuff in there. So if you do go pick it up, um, it's very approachable to read, but it talks about some really hard things when you're talking about, like, drugs and suicide and all that. I mean, she just straight up, like, gives hard stories that are hard to listen to, but they're real. Yeah, I was gonna say, but they're, they're real. They're real things. So yeah. um, there's a lot of things that she addresses. One of the things that really connected with me was the fact that this is the stage in life where they are trying to figure out who they are outside of their authority figures that they've known their whole lives. They're wanting to become independent, 
uh, because that's the way God wired them to be, because one day they are going to have to be independent from their parents. Mm. And so we need to establish some sort of authority structure that leads them into good independence when they are out of there, out of out of the home. But they, we also need to recognize they haven't reached that stage yet. Mm-hmm. Adolescence is not adulthood. Mm-hmm. They look like adults, they act like adults, but developmentally they're still children. And so we need to treat them in some sense, a combination of both. Mm-hmm. And finding the balance is what's, mm-hmm. what's the hard part about it. Mm-hmm. How much do you reveal to them? How much freedom do you give them? Um, how much structure do you give them? These are the questions that everybody is wanting the f- perfect formula so that they can navigate the teenage years perfectly. And that's got to be so different from kid to kid. I'm just yeah. thinking about how in my own house my mm-hmm. children are so different, and that's yeah. going to look so different Boys for and girls both of are them. Different. Yeah. Yes. So it's, and that's what she comes down to. It. She's like, generally speaking, you can say a lot of these things, but when it comes down to it, every kid is different and needs different mm-hmm. things, which is why she steps into like these areas of how to enter into the differences and what are the things that should be maintained across the board. Mm. So one of the first things that she talks about is no, have a standard. She's not a Christian, so she never even references like scripture or the Christian faith or anything like that. But what she does say is consistency is one of the first things that you can have across the board. If you have a rule in place or if you have a standard in place, um, it is really important to be as consistent as possible uh, with that one child, but also with all the children. Mm. And that, that is to show no favoritism, um, but also to show that they will know the result of something when, when they do something wrong. And what that will do is establish like their kind of mode of ethics um, as she talks about. Um, And so for us as Christians, what's really important about that is we don't like our most consistent thing doesn't need to be us. Mm. Our most consistent thing needs to be Jesus. And so we need to be pointing our kids to Jesus as consistent because we're not. We're sinful, broken beings that can't do it. And that's part of the Christian message is to point them to something that's more consistent than we can be, point them to truth, point them to God's word, because sometimes our words are wavering. Sometimes what we say is not what we do. Mm-hmm. And so the ultimate message there is point them to anything that's more consistent in their life, and that's always going to be Jesus. And, w- and I, I think it has been so helpful to me to realize, like, I will fail my children. Absolutely. I will hurt them yep. and not mean to. Yeah. And so, yeah, you're right, to have some other person or a, to have God yeah. as our standard or as the thing that we're always pointing towards yeah. is really helpful. Yeah. And and not to take parents off the hook. Sure. Like, yeah. oh, I don't have no to be consistent. <laughs> I can do whatever. We're, we're supposed to reflect yeah. Christ in that even though we're in conflict with our kids, they're still watching. Right. They're still paying attention. It's amazing how much into my adult life that I have lived out who my dad was. Mm-hmm. even though I was in conflict with him in my teenage years, even though I'm in conflict of with him now, like it's still, there's so much about me that is so much like him. Yeah. Cause he was one of the most consistent people in my life that I saw day in and day out live a certain way. Right. And that makes, that makes something of somebody that 
you're hugely important in your children's life. Absolutely. No matter what, no yeah. matter what that relationship looks yeah. like. I think we all can speak to really, we either know someone or we've experienced it. Mm-hmm. I have awesome parents. Yeah. I have friends who have really broken parents and it's like, it doesn't matter how yeah. you grew up. Those people are so influential of who you are and who you become and what you follow. Either you become like them or you bow to change, you know, like yeah. there's just so much about their consistency. Yeah. That, that marks you forever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you have that consistency across the board, the next step to add in is um, very similar, which is repetition. And what, what they talk about with repetition is not only just being like having the same standard, but coming back to it often. Because with a, a teenager, as you all know, um, are extremely forgetful beings. <laughs> and she talks about like they, their brains are in a stage of life where there's so much going on. There's so much stress that their brain can only take in so much that it pushes things out that are unnecessary to them. Which I literally can't even imagine growing up now with technology. Right. Like we are at the yeah. cusp of that divide yeah. of like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine. I was so forgetful as yeah. a middle, middle schooler, high schooler. I can't imagine with all the things that they're taking in yeah. and trying to juggle yeah. good or bad, Yeah, how forgetful they would be. That'd be really hard. So the best way to, one of the best ways to in, incorporate new ideas or new concepts or a way of life or whatever is to repeat it over and over and over again. And when you repeat something to a teenager... Um, over and over and over again, it is more likely to stick. I mean, that makes that's sure, yeah. common sense. It seems again, like it feels like toddlers. It feels <laughs> like toddlers. Yeah. Please, you need to say please and thank you, please and thank you, please and thank you. You do that for years, <laughs> yes. and then yes, it takes. I don't even know if we're at the stage yet where we're still struggling. We yeah. are still struggling at age three. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. So it 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 takes years of constant repetition, and that doesn't mm-hmm. change in the adolescent stage. Yeah. It's not necessarily about saying the right things but like um, if you want them to live out a certain way of life you have to give them the same experiences the same interactions the same consistent structure that you have instilled in them and for us as christians that may mean they may not want to go to church for four years but if you bring them to church for four years that repetition is going to ingrain something into them it what it's doing in their brain is it's making it a higher value, a higher priority. And so the things that they haven't repeated in their life will get pushed out. Mm-hmm. So you want to repeat what's good and valuable, and you want to give them priorities over what's good and valuable over the other things. Because their brain at this stage is pruning itself. It's getting rid of all the unnecessary things mm-hmm. that they learned in childhood. Mm-hmm. And so in this teenage years, if you all of a sudden cut out Jesus or if you all of a sudden cut out the repetition of going to church or if you all of a sudden cut out getting into God's word because you think it's their own choice now because they're teenagers, their brain will literally prune it away. That's crazy. Yeah. Hmm. So consistency, repetition will help you remember things. And the third piece, which, which is my favorite piece, which is experience creating experiences that are memorable. So this kind of justifies the work that we do, why we do what we do, um, creating positive experiences around Christian people for the sake of the gospel. So whenever we have like a big 
party or whatever, there may not be a gospel message, but the experience could be good enough to where they can remember it as a good, positive association with Christians, which mm-hmm. will make them want to come around. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, Susan, can you think of, you know, you grew up in the church, and you obviously serve in the church, and that's <laughs> been a positive thing for you, but what do you feel like was one of the convincing factors for you to stick around? Oh, I mean, hands down, my youth group. My youth group, it's so interesting to be involved in our youth group because my church was huge. I mean, I went to an 8,000-member church, and our youth group was giant. But um, <coughs> every summer, we took a huge trip, and my best friends were there. And mm-hmm. so it was exactly what you're saying of, like, creating these memories. I mean, I will never forget them. Mm-hmm. Um, but creating an environment that I I want there was nothing that would have kept me from being there. Yeah. And some of that was because I really wanted to be around Christians and I really wanted to learn. And some of that was like, I just want to be with my best friends. And there was a cute boy there that I liked, you know, yeah. like yeah. holding both of those things together as a teenager or like as an adult, looking back at teenage years of sometimes my motivation, my motivations weren't necessarily like what a parent would wish. Yeah. But it, got me there and it hooked me in exactly what you're saying of like these experiences that actually were doing more for me than just a place to go. Like it was building a foundation that continued on and is still a huge part of my life. Mm -hmm. My biggest community is the church yeah. because I saw the value of that. Not that I could have told you that, Mm -hmm. but I, I knew that that is where I felt the safest, the most valued, the most joy. Mm Mm-hmm as a teenager. So just, I mean, our youth group and, um, those summer trips were huge for me. Yeah. If you think about why we do these international trips for, um, missions work, it's not, and most of it is not about us, you know, going and saving the people of right. Malawi or Japan or whatever. Yeah. It's about instilling a, an experience, um, that encourages, these students to become missionaries and disciplers of their own. Absolutely. That's why we have an application process. We want them to be um, emotionally and spiritually mature enough mm-hmm. for that step in their faith that they can have an experience that leaves a positive taste in their mouth that makes them want to become missionaries and disciplers of their own. Mm-hmm. Later on, we know that that may not happen for years, but they may end up becoming a missionary later on in their life because like I remember this trip that I took mm-hmm. and it was awesome mm-hmm. and I got to see God at work in this place and I want to live that out for years. That's why we do it. We know the result is an is almost never going to be immediate. Right. It's gonna take consistency and repetition of experiences mm-hmm. and confrontations of these issues. So Creating positive experience for your teenager is really, really important. So putting them in places where they're going to have that. That's why people want to send their kids to uh, Christian educational places because they're going to be surrounded with positive things. They're going to be surrounded with the Christian message. There are some other ways to do that as well. So the experience piece of it um, is just in addition to a repetition. It's mm-hmm. not either or. It's got to be both and. Mm-hmm. They need to have both of these things for it to be in- ingrained in them. So just because you're in conflict with your kid 
it doesn't mean you cannot put them in a place where they're going to have a good experience. And the more experiences they have, the more likely it's going to stick in their memory. Sticks. Yeah. That's yeah, right. so it's going to uh, create, again, it's going to avoid the pruning process. Um, it's, I mean, you think about it. When you have a an experience or this moment, you remember it. That's why we remember yeah. stories so well. That's why we can look back at our childhood and like, I remember this or I remember that. Whether good or bad, an experience is going to create a more longer-lasting memory for these kids. So I want to pause, and, and before we get to the fourth point, as when you're thinking about that in terms of conflict, you have to be thinking, I'm trying to win the war, not the battle. Mm-hmm. Um, so that may mean when you're trying to be as consistent, repetitious, or creating a good experience or providing an, an experience for your child, um, that may mean you have to compromise in the battle every once in a while. Because most likely, as we see with Jesus, it's just a window of time until we get into his adult life. Mm-hmm. Um, this adolescent stage is just part of the battle to make them thriving adults who believe and follow Jesus with their whole heart. So what do you mean compromise? Like, What does that actually mean? So that may mean you may not, have, you may not be able to um, avoid all conflict with your kid. Gotcha. I see yeah. what you're um, there's going to be conflict, and there's going to be a lot of times where your child disagrees with you. But if you stay consistent um, throughout the process where you are standing firm in what you believe uh, through it all, they're not going to see you as a deceiver, but somebody who stands mm-hmm. firm. If you come back to it often, even though they may conflict with you again and again and again, they're still going to, the more you come back to it, the more you talk about it, the more it's going to, what you're saying is going to stick in their mind. And the more experiences that reinforce that truth is going to stick that in them, instill that in them, so that when, not when they're 15 or when they're 16, but if the war is for them to continue on life outside of your home and be faithful followers of Jesus, that may mean you have to give in to some of the battles, saying, even though I have, I feel like I'm losing this war right now, I know that I'm looking much further ahead than this teenager is. Gotcha. And that's what she'll talk about is a teenager and a child cannot see much past tomorrow. Oh, no way. <laughs> they, they, that's one of those things. They just don't have the capacity to do it. They can think about it, but they don't realistically know what's up ahead. And this is why God gave us our authority structures. He gave us, you know, he gave us himself, has gone before us in all of life, but he also gave us our parents. We were born to people who are older than us, mm-hmm. who can guide us and who can direct us, who have walked the life of a teenager before them. And that's why we want to come back and circle back to them so that, one, we can learn from our own, ma- own mistakes and teach those and instill those onto our kids, um, but also to avoid anything that may trip up their own children going forward. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. So I'm imagining what if I have a situation where I feel like I have a relationship with my child where they just don't listen to me. Like I'm wondering um, 
that let's say that's a pattern of like yeah. you feel it true or not mm-hmm. i could imagine a situation where that would be really true like you're distant with your kid and maybe they just don't listen like how do you combat that i mean would you say the same things of just like continuing on <laughs> like um, maybe feel like you have such resistance yeah so pers- you personally and this is deviating a little bit m- from the resources and more so dealing with experience mm-hmm. when they're not hearing hearing what i'm saying i i like to go the other way with it and i like to listen um if you feel like they're not hearing you that means you're not hearing them mm. usually and so it's really good to practice good questions and not even provide like providing solutions to them, but just providing an open ear. And that that's going to make you stand out. That's going to create a mm-hmm. positive experience for them. Mm-hmm. That when I have an issue, I know mom and dad will listen to me. Mm-hmm. If you I repeat that process over and over. And that's what we do as youth leaders half the time is, you know, we don't really say much. Sometimes we do on like a Sunday night or whatever. But if it, we find that a kid wants to speak with us in our training, it, it they tell you to practice, you know, that's why God calls us to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Because more often our open ears are going to say more than our open mouths. Right. Totally. Yeah, so I I would always see that as a moment if if somebody's not listening to me, and this may not even just be with teenagers, yeah, um, we can see that with truth. our own children yeah. that if they're screaming or whatever and they're not listening to like my direction, you need to be quiet or you mm-hmm. need to do this or whatever. Sometimes they're acting out because they just want to be given the time of day. Right. Now that's really helpful because I was thinking I don't want someone to give up before they started you know if yeah. they think wow i don't even have that kind of relationship with my child now like yeah. if i started being misconsistent they'd yeah. be like what's going on yeah. but just to to even like start that to be able to say like i want to hear from you yeah what's going on like how power that's actually really powerful yeah um, a huge tool yeah to have yeah for sure and that's that really and that leads into the last portion and <sighs> Wow. Didn't even plan that. Didn't plan it. (laughs) Which are the people. Yeah. Uh, When you feel at odds or you just feel lost, it's not to throw in the towel or to give up, but know that in a Christian community, that is what exactly what the church is for. Mm. And that's why youth ministry exists, to walk the life of a teenager with the family and with the parents. Absolutely. To advocate for the gospel in their lives. Um, so a lot of times we're, we're turning these teenagers back to their parents and saying, you need to trust them. They are your parents. They have raised you. They are trying to love you as best that they can. However, here's some truth as well. We are here to reinforce the gospel. We're here to reinforce truth. We're here to reinforce the, the, the standard and the human life that Jesus lived. Mm-hmm. And we try to be as consistent with that as possible. And our prayer and our hope is that as parents, you're doing that at the home. And if we, as an extension of other adults in this child's life, are reinforcing that, it's more likely to stick over time. Mm-hmm. And we know because Susan and I have been in youth ministry for a while now, we've seen a lot of kids come into the ministry and leave the ministry and graduate and go on. Um, we, because they're not our, our 
our own kids, we can see the cycle. We know that um, the kids that stick it through the faith, we can't always tell in the high school ages or the mm-hmm. middle school ages. We have to wait and see what happens in college yeah. or post-college. And that's where we find a lot of joy and we see a lot of the fruit yeah. is seeing what's coming many, many years from the time that they spend with us. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we can't have good and positive experiences here and now, but we we sit and wait. You know, once they graduate, we're like, man, I really hope that did something. <laughs> you know? Hope that works out. <laughs> yeah. So it's he, here's here's why it's really important to do that. Is when it when a child has conflict with their adult, when a teenager has conflict with their adult, they have uh, very few options of what they can do. Um, they can turn within themselves, which in reality, teenagers are innately incredibly social beings. So they're, they're less likely to do that. Most likely they, they turn to other people. So if they have a distrust in their parents, which we've already stated is normal mm-hmm. um, because they're becoming, they're emerging adults. They're trying to make themselves independent because um, they know that stage of life is coming. They're going to seek guidance and counsel from other people. Yeah. And most of the time, they're going to want to gravitate towards their peers. Um, that's a normal thing because their peers understand them. Their peers are going through something similar at the same time. And they're going to validate them. <laughs> they're going to validate them no matter what. Yes. And we all want that. We want to be validated. We don't want to be pushed back. That's really hard. But as a teenager, um, we already know that they are irrational beings. And what this book talks about, and I can summarize in one sentence, she rationalizes the irrational of the teenager. Mm. So if a teenager is acting irrational and having conflict with the parents, let's say the parents are in the right, but the teenager is not hearing it, and they turn and go to their friends and vent, and their friends vent back, then you're just in this cycle of irrationalism. (laughs) And it just creates this monster that's called social media. <laughs> right? Yeah. So there, there is one other option that, that kids mm-hmm. have, which, again, I'm going to validate our work, is having other adults in their lives that are going to reemphasize what you are saying and what you so want for your kid. Important. So that's hear it differently. Yeah. It it doesn't have to be like a youth leader. We love that kids come to us, um, but it can be another set of parents. It can be grandparents. It can be just any other adult. Mm -hmm. Um, So powerful. Yeah. But it's got to be a consistent adult, um, an adult that regularly shows up in their life. It can't be a a one time person. And that's why, like, we want kids to stay in the ministry all seven years is because we know the first three years of middle school is all about earning that trust so that when they come into conflict with their kid in the high school years, they're more likely to turn to us as one of their options. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that as a common trend. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. they've, it, mm-hmm. If a kid just drops in like junior year of high school, um, it is very unlikely they're going to turn to us immediately in conflict there are rare occasions where that does happen but it's less likely to happen Mm -hmm. and since we're presbyterian and we believe in in covenant children that's part of raising your child in a christian home is trusting in the church and in 
and then the youth workers or other adults in their lives and into the discipleship model and why that's so important mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, Susan, let me ask you this. What has been or who has been a, a vital person um, in your life outside of your parents that has helped you grow in the faith? Growing up? Yeah. Gosh, there's been so many people, but... um. I would probably say there was a a woman, but I got to know her and her husband. She played the piano at our church. And so, again, part of the context of our church very quickly, huge youth group. But the other thing, it always sounds funny because now I'm like, that would sound so weird in this culture. But the choir was huge. The choir was how there was a youth choir, and it was like the thing to do. Everybody did it because there was always a huge trip. And she played the piano for us, but I was also in an ensemble group, and so I would spend like two hours with her every Sunday. But um, she became like my group leader when we went on an international trip. And after that trip, she always invited me and all my friends over to her house for dinner and sitting around her table with her husband. Um, they became huge in my life and not kind of just what you're saying, not always because we had these like deep theological conversations, but like her consistency in engaging with us and inviting us into her life and her house. And then her asking about our life was huge. And that has continued on till, I mean, you know, I've been out of the youth group for a little bit of time and every time I'm home, she still has that same group of girls over. We're all married and have kids now. Um, and I was thinking about her recently because she just retired from my church. She'd been the pianist there for 46 years, I think. And um, I just thought, like, gosh, she has no idea the, re- the like, wide span reach of what her ministry has done. Because she would probably have said, I didn't do anything spectacular. Like, I just had people over dinner. Like, it wasn't a big deal. Um, but she, like... <sighs> if you can take yourself back to your teenage years, someone paying interest in you or wanting to pay you attention and thinking anything that you have to say is interesting. That's like outside of your friends. It actually is powerful, you know? So, um, she and her husband are probably who from my growing up years, they were really important and still are important to me. They, they didn't forget about me when I left. Yeah. Yeah. For me, you know, I don't really, claim that I was a Christian until I was 17. And so those are other adults that stick out in my mind, even even in non-Christian circles, this is true. And that's why I like this book is like, this is true neurologically. This is just true about teenagers and what sticks to them. And if you believe that is true and you want them to understand the Christian faith and you want them to become Christians, why would you not surround them with people who are trying to live that out as well um, and going to reinforce that? And so that's what we try to do. But when I was a kid, um, you know, I was, a, I was a huge runner. And so the people that really stuck out to me, the people that I leaned into that were more than just my peers, were my coaches. Um, coaches make a big impact. That's why I get into coaching now. It's a great opportunity to be in mm-hmm. these kids' lives outside yeah. of their normal context. Um, and I feel like I have a lot of authority and ability to speak into these kids' lives just by showing up on a regular basis and, and being you're non-threatening <laughs> I'm non-threatening and I have some similar interest to them yeah. um, we we bond over this one have thing a hobby. yeah 
And so even though I'm their cross country or track coach, most of these kids will never come. Well, they'll come to me with that, those issues, but they'll also come to me with dating advice Mm -hmm. and friendship strife and home issues. Like Mm -hmm. what's going on between them and their parents? Like, why aren't you running very well today? Well, last night I got in a fight with my mom, and I can talk about that. Um, why would they talk to me about that? I'm just some other adult. It's because I'm consistent, and I show up, and that's part of what we tell people. The first step is just showing up. Um, if, if you want to gain this, this awesome relationship with your teenager, there's 80% of the work is just being there. Yeah, you know, and uh, just when you were saying that, I was thinking it's so sweet to see that they're hungry for it. Yeah, you know, like totally. this isn't something you're having to manufacture. It's yeah. something like God actually gives you a hunger for that. Yeah, when you're that age. Yeah, it's really sweet. It's so, it's it's amazing how gracious the Lord is. Mm-hmm. That all we have to do, well, not all, but a lot of the work is just about being there. That should reveal God's grace, but it also, if we can't show up all the time, it should sh- show like how self-centered we can be. <laughs> yeah. um, oh and I, I get that. You yes. know, it's like I'm gone all the time um, through work or through me pursuing stuff I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and my my kids call me out on it. Like, you're leaving again? You're going to miss dinner again? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, like my three-year-old can articulate that Mm -hmm. and it's it's a stab to the heart at that stage and that feeds into later on in life and so it kind of builds off one another so showing up which is equivalent to that consistency and then coming back with you know the repetition of things um, and then creating these experiences and then surrounding them with the people um, that you hope that they instill, which is why not just having good adults, but also knowing your kids' friends is also really mm-hmm. important. Huge. They can get, they can still have friends that are going to instill wisdom in them. Um, not all teenagers are lost or whatever. A lot <laughs> of teenagers are brilliant and smart and can actually see mm-hmm. where a, where their friend is going wrong and can call them out. Yeah. But you'll never know that unless you know their kids. Right. Yeah. Their friends. Or their friends, I yeah, sorry. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's really, really important. Um, mm-hmm. All right. So let's circle all the way back. Mm-hmm. Let's circle back to Jesus. And what happened with him is that we need to recognize our, <coughs> our children are not Jesus. And I, I just want to summarize is that Jesus kind of sets this example of what adolescence should look like. And so we have some standard. We have this way of understanding consistency across the board, which is this submission to authority, a submission to God's word. And we also see Jesus surrounding himself with who? Temple leaders and positive adults that are understanding in God's word. But we also see distressed parents <laughs> which shows their love and care for him. And um, they were showing up. They were being present. They were showing love and how they knew how to show love to him. Mm-hmm. They were distressed because they cared about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not removing yourself from the picture. Um, it's really important for us to, to z- sit back a little bit. And then after they're distressed, what do, th- what do they do? 
they listen to their son. Mm-hmm. And to, like you said, um, it's really important for us to, you know, sit back and, and let the child speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and very often that is what's going to go much further, much deeper into their lives, and it's going to instill that positive experience for them. Mm-hmm. So they'll keep coming back throughout their teenage years and beyond. You, you seek out the counsel f- when those moments of counseling um, were positive mm-hmm. and consistent throughout the process. So true. Yeah. So that's it. If, if you do all that, um, you'll have no conflict in your life. <laughs> Done. Yes. Sounds really easy. Yeah. Um, that's, we just want to reinforce how this stage of life is difficult yeah. and hard. hard. Um, and you're not alone. No. Jesus had conflict with his parents. Yeah, in this stage of life. Uh, but there's hope. Uh, absolutely. There's absolute hope. That's why we believe in the gospel. But there's also hope when you read this part of scripture that it's <laughs> not very long. <laughs> yes. Um, if you can endure for seven years. <laughs> that sounds horrible. That sounds so long. Yeah. Seven is like, <laughs> what? Seven's like a very biblical number. It is biblical. Yeah. It, what it, it reinforces like, Completeness, uh-huh. yeah. So the teenage years, it's this is why I love youth ministry. I could go <laughs> into this all I want, um, but we are here for you guys. We know this. We want to advocate for the gospel in the life of your teenager, um, and so we are here to partner with you in that. And so we're gonna keep reinforcing your love for them, but more importantly, because we're sinners and you're a sinner and your children are sinners. We want to reinforce the truth and the standard that Jesus is through the gospel. We all need each other. Yep. Amen to that. That's right. All right. It's 2020. Woo! First podcast of 2020. Second. Second. (laughs) 1.2. Y'all are awesome. We love y'all. We want your suggestions for future episodes. Yes, please tell us. So we're here for you. All the way from New Zealand. We want to know what you want to hear about. Yeah. Another (laughs) shrimp on the bobby. (laughs) 